and welcome to the Ashley Webster Experience. We have a very special guest today, a man who has, well, has lived a remarkable life and continues to lead a remarkable life. His name is Johnny Russo. Uh, you probably know him from The Godfather. That is a huge claim to fame, but this man has done so many things, and we'll get into that movie, probably the greatest movie of all time. He's an actor, a singer, motivational singer. I saw, uh, motivational singer, a motivational speaker, but he probably sings too. Uh, I do. You've been <laughs> and a, my singing is motivational. Yeah. <laughs> you've been a Vegas nightclub MC, an owner, a radio personality I read somewhere, a jewelry tycoon. Is that right? Well, you're not done. And you also have wine labels. I mean, you've, I know, I'm sure I've only scratched the surface, but uh, Gianni, welcome. Thank you for coming in and talking no, to us. No, thank you for having Most me. Most importantly, you have a book out. I've already through the first, the prologue, the first chapter. It's a great read, by the way. Yeah. Thank it's you. called Hollywood Godfather, My Life in the Movies and the Mob. Now, that's a title that's going to get your attention, without <laughs> it's, doubt. It's been doing well. <laughs> so before, before, before we get to the whole, the book and everything, I just want to take you back to early days, Little Italy, where you grew up. Right. And describe for me what it was like then, because Little Italy today in Manhattan is nothing like it was back it's in sad. the day. Well, now, I mean, I mean... In the late 40s, early 50s, that's when Little Italy was Little Italy. And, and uh, there was like five or six people living in a one-bedroom apartment because they just came over to America to find their fortune, thinking the streets were lined with gold, mm. only to find cobblestone. <laughs> <laughs> and you slept. You had uh, mom and dad in one room, your sisters in another. You slept in the closet. Yeah, they, they fashioned this. Uh, my father's very old school. And uh, he wouldn't let me sleep in the same room as my two older sisters. So they took this closet. It was a utility closet. And they put a youth bed, a mattress on the floor. But the strange thing is I think why I got away with so much things is that next to my head was a five-gallon kerosene (laughs) can that dripped through the night to supply the heat. For the apartment. I couldn't have been good for the old brain. Could no. well, I think I'm uh, brain dead. I, I, I've used that a couple of times in front of judges. Best <laughs> excuse you can um, And you're in Mulberry Street, which is really runs down the heart of, of Little Italy. Oh, my God, yeah. I mean, you were right in the middle there. Uh, it was a very tight-knit community because, as with so many people who come from so many countries, you tend to stick together. Yeah, and that's you know, most of the people down there were either sent by people from here already. Mm-hmm. So like you're, you're stating it, it was a, a collection of immigrants, mostly Italian there. And as you know, the different different heritages and different cultures mm-hmm. gathered in different places, like the Irish on the west side. Everybody mm-hmm. was all over the place. But uh, Little Italy, uh, which I found out much later on, my great uncle was one of the reasons that... Uh, there were so many people there, like Mr. Gambino ah. and, and Lucky Luciano. <laughs> Upstanding citizens yeah. is what we're saying. Yeah, of course. But very powerful. <laughs> By that time, but, yeah. you know, it's funny, though. Be, during that early time, they really needed people to speak up for them. Yeah. Because they were being taken advantage of, unfortunately. And you had yeah. a predominantly Irish police force yeah. right. uh, at the time in New York. Yeah. And that's why Costello, it's very interesting. Yeah. Frank Costello took on an Irish name. Yeah. For that reason. And he was a prominent the mob figure, correct? The prime minister oh of the underworld. Yeah. Yes. Not only that, but you know, he, he uh, that's why in the line in The Godfather where they said you control all the politicians and yeah. the police. They, uh, I talked to Puzo early on when he, as soon as the book came out. Mm-hmm. And uh, he fashioned it after three different Godfathers that he knew about. 
and Costello did have all the politicians and, and the police force, and he ran Tammany Hall. Tammany Hall, if you were going to be anything mm-hmm. in New York City or New York State, it came out of Tammany Hall. Then you had uh, Joe Pafacci, yeah. who had the oil, which mm-hmm. is now Genco Olive Oil. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then you had Carlo Gambino, which is the guy who uh, basically mentored well, me early on. Well, Frank Costello, you, you knew him well. But the reason why he was, some people say he was shot by uh, Vincent Giganti was because he wasn't sharing his connections, which is, you kind of, it's kind of seen in The Godfather. Do you, is that well, no, true? I mean, no, you're lacing it now. No, mm-hmm. Costello, when he got here, he was ordered to be in, in, the, in the first gangs in New York. Mm-hmm. And that's when they broke that up into five families. Yeah. He didn't get a family. He didn't want a family, mm-hmm. which is interesting. He worked for Lucky? No. He, basically what he did, he was with Vito Genovese. Uh-huh. So when Vito Genovese went to prison, yeah. he automatically took over. Right. When yeah. Vito came out, he couldn't be happy to give him back his family back. Yeah. Because that's when he and Maya were already putting together the, the syndicate, mm-hmm. which was above all the, all the f- crime families in, in, the, in the United States. Yeah. And I, there's so much to talk to you about that, but I just wanted, to, in your childhood, I, I think it's important to mention this, is that you contracted polio, correct? At yeah. a young age, what, seven? I was seven. But, you know, that's, I mean, I look at it in hindsight. I mean, it was probably the greatest thing that ever happened to me. Why? Well, because instead of wasting my time of playing stickball in the streets and all of that and hopscotch and everything else people were doing, I learned to survive at an early age. I realized the value of just mobility and taking care of yourself. And uh, most kids, and especially I have a lot of kids. I have nine boys, two girls, nine grandsons. I got 20 wow. kids. Jeez. That's My a family. Oldest, <laughs> yeah, that's great. What's worse, though, they had 10 mothers. <laughs> <laughs> so you were actually in the hospital for five years. That's a huge, just your childhood. Especially at the age of 7 to 12. Yes. It's very formative years. But I say it, it was a blessing because of the fact that Look what happened after those 12 years. I'm 76 now. It's insane because if I wasn't a cripple at the time and had those deformities, I wouldn't have attracted Frank Costello. Mm. I mean, I probably would have been a longshoreman on Staten Island by now. (laughs) Well, you didn't have a chance to go to school, really, because you get out at 12. You could have gone back to school, but you would have been at whatever grade. You would have been five years behind. That well, was, the, that not only, I would have been the biggest kid in right, second grade. Yes. <laughs> you would have won all the sports. Uh, but uh, what's interesting is you knew then that you wanted to strike out on your own. You wanted to get away from the family, do your own thing. You end up at a bakery store who take you on. You work overnight and sleep in the basement. And you're 12, 13 years old. Well, I, I realized I, I didn't want to go home because I, I knew already. Before I left, my father was very abusive with my mother and all of that. So to me... And then the, them not coming really confused me. And so when I got out, and the way I got out, we won't give up. Right. Uh, did you read that yet? I haven't yet, no. Okay. The way I got out of the hospital was unique in itself. So it proves I read something. all about the nurse that you befriended, but that's another story oh, yeah, for another yeah. day. <laughs> <laughs> Dolores Perone. Yes, God Dolores. Yes. No, but the thing is that uh, I, I learned a responsibility that most kids never learn. Some never do. They all think they're, you know, they're, uh, what do they call it? Um, like my children. Uh, <laughs> privileged. <laughs> yeah. Privileged, yeah. yes, yes. They can do anything. Yeah. So with that, I, I got out, and 
not knowing subconsciously. I believe in God. I don't want to start a whole thing on that. And he's guided me up until now. I went to Mr. McNaughty, who was a great a friend of my grandfather's, and the warmth and the dry air in that basement because of the flower bags and the wood ovens helped me. Yeah. That's why I have no, resi- no, no residual from my whole Isn't left side of my body. And then the mere fact that he allowed me to work there, and he was being nice to me. He didn't have to give me this job. And uh, I never would use the, the mixing machines. I mix 50-pound bags of flour to build my body, which is like dynamic tension. I don't know if you have a mixed yeah. flour. Right. It's pushing sure. it. Yeah, because on. your muscles are suffering from atrophy from yeah. not being able to use them yeah. from polio. So that was an opportunity for you to bulk up. In fact, <laughs> a, a, a thing that happened to me, when I got when I started working, I started to develop my left side of my body too fast. I had to slow it down. <laughs> you end up I, going I around was, in circles. Well, I, I was selling ballpoint pens using that. I saw that you made a lot of money doing that. First on Wall Street, oh then God, up yeah. on Fifth Avenue by the park there. That's well, that's how I met Frank in ah. front of the Sherry Netherlands. He'd cross 59th Street in front of the hotel. from the west side. He'd go get a shine every morning. I didn't know what he was doing, which is a Sioux shine. <laughs> and uh, he'd come out and give me. A, and never take a pen. I was selling ballpoint pens. They yeah. just came out. And he'd give me a dollar, two dollars, sometimes five dollars. But never took a pen. Never took a pen. Always touched the left side of my body, which I didn't even think about it at first. But then it got to be routine. Every time he took a pen, he would touch the left side of my body. And I used to go to church a lot. And when I came out of church one morning down on Mulberry Street, Precious Blood, mm. next to Ferraris, and it's still there on Grant Street, was a religious store. It's still there. Yeah, it's a, yeah, it it's is. 100 years old. Yeah. What do you call him? You lie? He's confirming. Yes, I, it <laughs> I swear to God, it's still there. <laughs> I'll take your word for it. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, I come out one day, and I saw a Logorn, the horn that a lot of people wear. Mm-hmm. I'm wearing right now. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I wanna, yeah but don't, yeah, you don't have the too. hunchback on it, though. <laughs> no. I, no, the, see, the, the, the yeah. same one has a hunchback yeah, on it. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. So I oh. went in, I said, Joe, what does that mean? He said, well, Sassanes are superstitious. Yeah. They love to touch a cripple for luck. Yeah. So now I it's put two and two right. together. Now you put yeah. together with Frank. So now I'm going to get the end train on Canal Street to come uptown. Mm-hmm. And there was a little uh, novelty store right in the subway. And they had rabbit's feet that they were selling on a chain. Yeah. Good so luck. I looked at the, the most a turquoise, ridiculous color. <laughs> and I bought it and I put it in my pocket. <laughs> So now Frank's coming the next day, and he goes to touch me. I move my shoulder. And he goes to touch me again. I move my shoulder. I said, I know what you're doing. He said, what am I doing? I said, you're touching me for luck. I thought you liked me. I'm not, I'm not at your horseshoe or something. I said, I got something for, for your luck. And I gave him this ridiculous <laughs> turquoise <laughs> rabbit's foot. And he looked at me, and he says, I believe this kid black. And it was his bodyguard. I thought it was his friend. Right. He said, what's your last name? because we already got to know my name. Mm-hmm. I said, Russo. So he played another game with me. He says, oh, yeah, who's Angelo Russo to you? I said, Angelo Russo is my great uncle. He says, when's the last time you saw him? I said, you kidding me or what? He says, when's the last time you saw him? I said, I never saw him. They hung him in Italy in 1947. Wow. My uncle sent him to America. I didn't no. know that. Wow. That's why he took me under his wing. Wait, did you know who Frank Costello was when you first met him? No, no, I didn't yeah. know who he was. I, I, I was so funny. When I got uptown, the first time I went uptown, I had a check to make sure because I knew it was a weekday. Mm-hmm. And I saw all these people dressed up. 
downtown, they only got dressed up on Sunday. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so the doorman at the, at the Sherry Netherlands, I got to know him. He used to bring me coffee and all that. Mm. And they'd make me stand under the heaters. <laughs> and uh, he was the one that told me, he said, don't you know who that guy is? I said, yeah. no. He says he's the ambassador. He's known as the ambassador. I said, really? And he said his name is Frank Costello. I still didn't put two and two together because Costello's Irish. Right. Until he told me, I didn't know anything. And he said, give me that cigar box. I said, I ain't giving you my cigar box. He gave me three, one, uh, three, um, five $100 bills. Oh, my Holy. God. You're like In 1952. That's Hello. a lot of money. <laughs> so... I, you began when he when he befriended you. Say he he took you under his wing. Um, what did he have you do? And were I, you aware at that point? You, you obviously knew then that wow, this guy's a mob guy. No, I didn't. I thought no. I, I, no I, when he said ambassador, I really you took him as, a, as an ambassador. Okay, he dressed well. And so he wanted me to do errands for him. Right, like well, there's nothing wrong with that. He had a like, place on Park Avenue, right, or something like that. Oh yeah, had a lot yeah. of places. Yeah. And, wh- and what did he have you do? I was carrying envelopes here, there, and everywhere. Had no idea it was. No, they ended the day. Well, you know, forget. I didn't. I didn't have a worldly right. environment. I was in a hospital, right. and it's not like today where you could see everything in the world on iTunes, anything you want. Right. And um, so I just did what he wanted to do. What do I care? It was easy. He gave me a hundred dollars a day. A hundred every day. day. I got a Benjamin. Oh <laughs> every my gosh! Day. And the baker, by the way, had set up a bank account for you. I read that, yeah, which but was I had too lovely. Much money. And then you were just piling this money into a bank account. And it's funny. Not only that, the uh, the banker, old man Pinto, was friends with my grandfather. And every time I went to the bank, <laughs> I'd go as respect and pay. You know, yeah. as I was raised that way, I'd go into his office, and he always had this big paper bigger than him, the Wall Street Journal. I said, what are you doing? He said, I'm playing the market. I said, what do you mean playing the market? He said, I've messed money in the market. I said, I got money. He said, you got to wait till you're 21. I said, why? He said, I don't know why. He said, <laughs> you just should wait. I said, I said let, me, let me give you some money. He said, what if I lose? I said, then you lose. Don't worry about it. And I, I, he said, go get me some money. He thought I was going to bring him like, you know. Hundred dollars, hundred fifty. You turn up with what? I turned twenty five hundred. <laughs> I gave him twenty five hundred dollars. He said, "Where'd you get that money?" I said, "I work for it." He said, "What are you doing?" <laughs> Can I Don't get worry about it. <laughs> no, so, and then, then we started playing penny stock. And how did that work out for you? I'm, I just, I'm still doing it. <laughs> no, but he bought me penny stock. He said, "I'm right. only going to invest penny stock." Yeah. Now, now, let's not get stupid here. And I kept, you know, I was very lucky and. Uh, I mean, my my life has been just like people said I was born with a horseshoe up my ass. <laughs> <laughs> well, that would be painful. But let's yeah. move on. Uh, listen. So, how long did you did you stay with Frank? And at what point did you say, "Well, listen, there's what two ways I can go here: I can get deeper into what Frank does, or I can start going in another direction." No, it wasn't that at all. He protected me all the way. The whole way. I mean, yeah, and a couple of times when people said... But did said, he want you to come into no. his business more? He didn't want you to no. become a made guy. No. no. Nothing like no, that. No, I did Carlo Gambino. Why was that? Out of respect. See, these guys, the guys they bring in, and I've watched it, believe mm-hmm. me, I've watched it over decades. The guys they bring in, they let them earn their way in. You earn your way in by doing them favors, either busting somebody up earning a lot of money. Once you earn a lot of money and show your loyalty, then you got to commit a crime, like a murder. Right. So they have something on you. Right. And they knew me, and they knew my, my uncle would kill them. 
and they protected me, fortunately. I mean, even during the Kennedy assassination, Mm -hmm. Costello got me out of the country for 22 months. Most people don't know that. Why? After after the Kennedy assassination, they killed 73 other people who were involved with that. CIA agents got killed. Anybody that knew. Johnny, this... (laughs) Is that right? Oh, I, I'm, because I know that Robert Kennedy was hard on to organize. Well, oh, no. to Carl, go back, Carlos Marcello, right? Yes, I mean, but but Kennedy, when he became what did he become Attorney General? Attorney General. General, he yeah. was hot on the heels of was, organized uh, crime on the unions. Well, you uh, name let me it. tell you what happened. His father, mm-hmm. Joe Kennedy, was partners with Frank Costello during Prohibition. Mm-hmm. They amassed millions and millions of dollars. They own, they owned eleven Wall Street here. Oh my god! I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I mean, you, the yeah. money they had was ridiculous, yeah, right? And that's why, again, I give the credit to Costello because Costello groomed me for business and everything else. So when he wanted his son to become president, he went to Costello, and he said, "Listen, I need all the unions. Mm-hmm. I need that vote." If you get me that vote, my son becomes president. We will invade Cuba. We'll give you the casinos back on the whole island. It was win-win because they had Batista all that while. Right. Then Castro invaded, threw them all out. Right. So that was a win-win. But it didn't work out like that. Well, because you you said who did it. Robert. Right. Robert hated his father and what he stood for and didn't like John very much. Robert was the youngest brother. Right. And Joe was a very crude man. And with that said, he went after all his father's friends. He said, I don't care what deal you made. And that's what happened. So after a while, everybody, I mean, everybody thought that Sam Giancana was Mm -hmm. the boss of Chicago. Tony Okada was the boss of Chicago all the while, right till the day he died in Palm Beach, Mm -hmm. in Palm Springs, rather. Mm -hmm. But these guys were the real guys. Well, so what about Lee Harvey Oswald? What was that whole – how did that come into all of this? I'm going to tell you how it happened. Once once they didn't get what they wanted, they were going to start taking out the Kennedys. So everybody didn't trust everybody. So Marcellus listening to the radio late at night, heard Lee Harvey Oswald on the radio, you know, pro-communist yeah, and all this. Yeah, communist mm-hmm. yep. Well, he, he he had that guy come in. They brought him in from Texas. And he sat him down. He said, you want to become a hero with the communists? He said, we're going to give you an opportunity to kill the president of the United States. And we'll get you right out after you do it and send you to Fidel Castro. So that's how he took the job. Wow. So now I'm going around all, all around the country, as I did hmm. when I tried to get Senator John F. Kennedy president. That's what I was doing. I went to see the Savalas. I went to see... Uh, Danafios, every every major city, mm-hmm. and we got the culinary union, you know, got the international longshoremen, we got everybody. I mean, you, you uh, Teamsters was a big brotherhood, sure. mm-hmm. but you know it still wasn't working. So the one corrupt guy they already had was Lyndon Bain Johnson, mm-hmm. and they needed okay. Texas, and they brought him in and said, "Listen, we know how much you hate the Kennedys. We guarantee you'll be president." If he does the first full eight, you're in for the next eight. And that's why he stepped in. But, so but, are but, you saying he knew, he had an understanding that if something happened, no matter what happens, he'll either get the reelection after Kennedy's done with his right. eight years, we'll support you or well, if anything happens? Don't forget, they brought him in 
before because yeah. it went out even during the primaries. Yeah. Without Texas, yeah. right? Kennedy would never won. Yep. So he was going along with the game that all the mob was going to Cuba, mm-hmm. and everybody's happy. Now the game changes because we got nothing. Nothing. So they made the deal, and he had. That's why it happened in Texas. Mm-hmm. But they always say he couldn't have made that shot. You know, you want to get into all the conspiracy theories, the grassy knoll, of course. all that. Lee Harvey Oswald didn't make the shot. Johnny Rizzoli made the shot out of the sewer. There was three shooters and the CIA as a backup. If those three shooters didn't go, the CIA would take him out. Why do you say the CIA would have? Because they were with Linda Bain Johnson. The CIA hated the Kennedys also. Yeah. They knew what they stood for. They were tracking Joe down all this time. Are you amazed that this conspiracy, as you describe it, has not come out in the open after all these years and so many people involved? You know, I just I did an interview this morning with a historian, and I'm saying, why does this guy want to interview me? And he said, I've read 11 books about the theory, hmm. and I read your book, and you nailed every guy. No one's de- said it. I can think. I don't think anybody had the balls to say. First of all, I don't right. really care. I'm 76 years of age. I know what I'm saying. I know what I'm doing. Hmm. There's. I mean, I seen it. I heard it. And my conspiracy, even with Bobby killing Marilyn, I know he did it. Hmm. It's a process of elimination. It's very simple. Yeah. But when that all happened, that's why Lyndon Bain Johnson brought him to the target. Uh huh. That's why he was in the back. He was the first one to duck. How come? <laughs> that's that's a good point. <laughs> well, let me ask you. <laughs> What was the reaction when the Kennedys abandoned all the guys on the street? When they abandoned the guys like Frank Costello and Sam Giacana, people back here must have been pissed, right? Pissed. We, I brought a message personally. I don't know what it was. Hmm. I don't know what was in the envelope. I brought it down to Palm Beach. I was supposed to wait for a reaction. The only reaction I heard was Joe Sr. screaming into a telephone, and next he had a stroke. Never spoke again. Huh. I assume I knew what was in the envelope right. because they said, this is it. We're going to start taking out your family. And they knew it because he couldn't control Bobby. They told him, control your son. Hmm. We're not going to just sit here. But, nope. Well, why not take Bobby out first? Because it seems like JFK wouldn't have gone after them without Bobby in his ear. The, you know? the problem with taking Bobby out, and that was a big conversation for a while, mm-hmm. was – if they took John out now, who was already damaged because of Marilyn Monroe, mm. and Bobby became president and they can control him, right. now they got a clean eight years. Okay. <laughs> That's how they look at it because, yeah. you know, they, they've <laughs> controlled five presidents. Yeah. All right. So I want to get – I've been itching really to get to the point of the Godfather because <laughs> we've described your life up to now and it's fascinating – but I don't hear that you turned, You didn't take any acting lessons or you didn't think to myself, you know what, Hollywood, that's where I belong. Well, how, I on earth, how on earth did you end up, did you do a screen test or something for, for, for The Godfather? This, it came out in 1972, so I'm imagining prior to that. 1969, I got involved. How? I had somebody read me the book, The Godfather. What I did you think read. at the time? I loved it. I mean, this is it. And my ego, and I had... Boxes of money at this time already. <laughs> and I was 25 years old. And I said, you know what? This is my shot. And then I read in the newspapers that Sicilians were going to play Sicilians. Jewish doctors would be Jewish doctors. They didn't need actors. And I believed them. So I shot a screen test for Michael 
I shot the thing outside of the uh, department store where he reads the hide the headline. His father's been shot. Right. So I shot it right there on the street. And is he all right on the phone? Did that. Then I did one for Sonny where he's screaming and yelling at the phone. Right. And then I did one for Carlo when he's doing the same thing in the dining room with his wife. And I submitted it to Paramount, but I did my homework because Al Ruddy was the executive producer at the time. Hmm. Betty McCart was his executive secretary. So I found out a little about her. So I got to her to find out what kind of guy was Ruddy. He liked fancy cars. He liked oriental women. So I shot my test. I wrapped it in the wrapping of the dust cover of the book. I went to the Tropicana Hotel because Joe Kennedy and Frank Costello owned it at the time. Mm. And they had a show called The Follies Bergere. Mm-hmm. And I knew there had to be an Oriental girl there. <laughs> so I got the Oriental girl. I had the costume designer make her a chauffeur's outfit on me. No. Oh, my Why? goodness. We owned the hotel. Why not? I didn't, but they did. <laughs> and off she went in my car to Paramount Studios. Oh, my God! I had Betty McCart get me a drive on because I was just going to leave this with the messenger. Right. I said, Betty, you got to get me a drive on. And she did. And uh, her, <laughs> best, her best friend was Pokey Newman. <laughs> and the good news about this, before Clint Eastwood was a major star, uh-huh. he, he just did Rawhide on television. Yeah. And then he went over to Italy with some of friends of mine and did Fistful, a dollar, one dollar more and all oh, that. Yeah. So Betty McCart, her husband, John... And me, I had privileges. We stood in Clint Eastwood's house while he was away. <laughs> oh my God. So I got to know Betty well. And so she arranged for the drive on. And sure enough, the girl shows up. They let her go to the office. And I made her tell me every step. I said, once you got to that office, you got to tell me. As soon as you get out of the studio. And this was before, you know, cell phones. I gave her a bunch of roll of dimes. I said, get your phone book and call me. <laughs> So she said when she pulled up, Ruddy was looking out the blinds, looking at them. I mean, she was hot, man. And she walked in, and Betty McCart ushered her into Ruddy. So I have a message for you. And he wanted to talk to her. What's your name? And all. I said, stay as long as you want. Stay a week if you want. That's <laughs> all the better for me. <laughs> yeah, of course. So um, they showed the test. But I didn't know. When I bought the 16-millimeter magstripe film from Allen Photography. So you shot this all yourself? I, I did it all myself, yeah. Oh, my God. No, but what's interesting, I bought old film. <laughs> I didn't know I bought old film. Right, right. It was supposed to be color. It came out sepia-looking. I didn't know. <laughs> this is how luck goes with me. Yeah, I wow. didn't know Francis Ford Coppola was trying to sell Paramount and shooting this in a sepia tone. No, wow. So now my test is spread all over the studio. <laughs> Only to get a letter saying we misled you. We're using actors. Thank you, but no, thank you. That was the that was the response. Yeah. And what did you think? So I said, how am I going to get into this film? Right. Then Joe Colombo in New York starts picking the FBI building. Don't like the way they're you know defaming Italian Americans in America. Mm-hmm. And then the Godfather come out, and he was using that as the Bible of how they discredited us. Right. So I go see Joe. I come back to New York. I knew Joe a long time. So I go see him in Brooklyn. And I said, Joe, you're selling a buck a button, a red, white, and green pin for a buck. I says, I know it's all about money. I show you how we can make a lot of money. He says, how's that? I said, Barry Schlotnick, a young attorney I met in his office. Mm-hmm. And Barry's still my attorney today. It's so <laughs> funny. I said, let Barry and all of us go meet the producers. Mm-hmm. 
let's discuss what you don't like. If they agree to take it out, they take it out, and I'll get you the world premieres in every major city for the league. You could charge a hundred, hundred and fifty dollars a ticket. He loved it. He said, Can you could do it? I said, If you give me permission, I'm gonna go. I'm do on it. it. Yep. I walked right up that his office in New York <laughs> was on Madison Avenue. That's right. where the league office was. Right. So I walked right up fifty ninth Street, which I've been on fifty ninth Street all my life. <laughs> And that's it. The, uh, was the Gulf of Western building because Charlie Blue doing Just Bought Paramount. This was his first film. Oh my goodness! <laughs> and I had him wired out of Milan, so I, he let me do anything I want. So I get there. I'm sitting in the lobby the next morning, and here they all come. They all recognize me from the screen <laughs> test. <laughs> so the Ruddy sepia says, screen test. Yeah. Ruddy says, "What are you doing here, Russo?" I said, "I know you got a couple of problems. I could straighten out. We got no problems." I said, I said, don't jerk me off, please. I know you got problems. You want to settle it? I could settle it. She said, wait right here. I thought he went up to call the FBI. <laughs> Next, Stanley Jaffe's secretary comes down. Oh, yeah. And I, I, I have a, a retention nobody has. Hmm. Naomi Campbell is her name. She comes down, and she says, they want to see you upstairs. I come up. Everybody's sitting in a boardroom. Mm-hmm. Everybody. Stanley Jaffe, Bobby Evans. The whole all club. The whole club. And I said, I have an idea that I think can work. I said, whatever's bothering Joe Colombo, I think we could straighten out and replace certain words with words that is, you know. Right, more palatable. Yeah, and and you'll get what you want. You get the cooperation of the neighborhoods for the shooting, Mm -hmm. and you get the cooperation of the unions. I said, how are you going to do that? I said, one thing you should promise them, and I know it'll happen. I said, if this film is done and everybody's happy, give him the world premieres in each city. Let him have a party. And he'll collect the money on that. Because they said, we can't pay him. You know, mm-hmm. We're not allowed mm-hmm. to do it. I said, that's, he's going to earn his reward. So now, I, he, they said, bring him. I said, okay. Using the words from the book, I said, we'll have a sit down tomorrow. What time's good for you? So they said, <laughs> 11 o'clock. So I go back, tell Joe. I said, Joe, we got to make this look good. Right. So I knew everybody around him, Butterest, Chico, Big Anthony, all of them. I said, bring everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Every capital in the room. city. <laughs> so now we're sitting there yeah. the next day, and everything's resolved. They're going to let, uh, you know, I'm not Korshak. Where's the, I'm going. See, I said I remember everything. I just forgot. <laughs> I know. I, Naomi Campbell is what you said after you said I remember everything. No, that no, was the no. secretary. Yeah. Schlotnick? No? Yeah, Barry Schlotnick. Yeah. Barry Schlotnick. So everything's resolved, and they're just about to get up, and mm-hmm. they're about to shake hands. So I tapped Joe. I said, Joe, what about me? And he goes like God. He goes, everybody sat down again. <laughs> He's, what about my boy? What are we going to do for him? So, oh, no, we'll take care of him. Because they knew I did the test. We're going to give him a part in the movie. I said, excuse me, sir. And it was Bobby Evans. I said, either I play Michael, Sonny, or Carlo, or this don't work. <laughs> That's pretty ballsy for someone who has no acting experience. Why the lead or nothing? But why not I guess, you know. So they said, then they let me know James Kahn was Sonny. I mean, uh-huh. uh, Michael. Michael, right. Originally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And Carmine, Tari- Carmine Caridi from Broadway was going to play Sonny because they thought it should be a big guy. So I said, who's playing Carlo? They said, nobody. I said, Joe, can I play Carlo? Joe said, he's Carlo. <laughs> <laughs> and that's it. how it happened. So now they've tried something else. They said, well, have your agent call me. 
So I am no agent. <laughs> Joe Colombo is my agent. <laughs> yeah, hello. And I said, then they said, well, um, are you in the union? I said, no. They said, well, this is a union picture. I said, listen, listen stop playing games with me, okay? This is New York City. I did my homework. This is a Taft Hall EX state. You give me a letter saying I'm playing Carlo. I'll go to the union right now and mm-hmm. get a card. And that was it. Done. <laughs> oh, wow. So then all of a sudden, you're on set with Marlon Brando, James Kahn, Robert Duvall. I mean, there's just a, you know, oh, Diane Keaton. Yeah, but they're, they're all young people. They're I, all young then, I was yes. imp- Yeah, I was impressed with Sterling Hayden, yeah. Richard yep, Conti, yep, yep, yep. John the, the Morley. Yeah, yeah, these are the guys. And, and Marlon Brando. And what was yeah. it like working with Brando? I mean, oh, he was perf- the best with me. Was he great? Well, you know what it was? Coppola came up with a great idea. Hmm. He said, we're going to have rehearsals for a few days. And it came out on a call sheet. I didn't know what a call sheet was. And we were going up to uh, Harlem. Pat, uh, well, you don't know the guy. East Harlem? Yeah, wait a minute. East (laughs) Harlem. But it was uh, Fat Tony Salerno's place called Patsy's. It's over 24 hours a day. We used to go up there late at night because there was Ziggonette games in the back. And I was up there like lending money to people that needed overnight loans, they're called. <laughs> and so uh, I said, this is great. So we get into the room, and on the bottom of the call sheet, it said, no eye contact or approach Brando. Oh. Everybody, other than his call sheet. So <laughs> now the idea was when we sat down, Francis said, everybody is seated in the order they speak in the, in the script. Mm-hmm. And so he said, just read. We don't want no acting. Everybody's going to get familiar. Now, the Italians, what I want to do, we're going to have a lot of food served, and we want you to exaggerate all your mannerisms so that Jimmy, who's Jewish, Marlon Brando, who's Polish, and the people who are non-Italians can take on your mannerisms. So we start the reading and all that. The first break, Marlon Brando walks over to me. And I'm saying, I ain't breaking the law. He's coming over to me. (laughs) So he says to me, you're a big TV actor. I said, no. He said, you had a big movie coming out. I said, no. He said, you're not on Broadway. I know everybody on Broadway. I said, you're right again. He said, who'd you study with? I said, study what? (laughs) So he calls Coppola over. He says, Francis. He says, this guy's playing Carlo. And Francis knew he had no control over me. He said, yeah, I know. (laughs) (laughs) He says, you should rethink this. And that's when I realized how important Carlo was because I didn't read the script. He says, he marries my daughter. His only daughter. His only daughter. Undermines my family for the Barzini's. Gets my son set up to be killed, Sonny. Mm. He's got to be a brilliant actor and believable. You should rethink this. Now I'm saying to myself, wait a and minute. And you're sitting there hearing this. I'm sitting there. You took that personally or no? Did I ever? Yeah. yeah. Personally. I had to. Wait to hear what I said. <laughs> you know, I already had a party a couple of days ago in the neighborhood saying I was in the movie, and they all thought I was lying. <laughs> <laughs> now if he gets me fired, I'm going to look like an idiot. <laughs> so I didn't know protocol on the set. I said, Brandon, I mean, uh, Francis, go yeah. over there a minute. You can't dismiss the director. So I dismissed the director. So the next thing I do, I put my arm around Brando because I want to walk him to the back to get him out of earshot. Mm-hmm. And I'm right in his face. I said, let me just tell you something, Mr. Brando. You screwed us up for me. I'm going to suck on your heart. You will die here today if I get fired. Do you understand that? And he looked at me and he said, 
that was brilliant. <laughs> you could do this part. He thought I was acting. <laughs> but you meant every word. I definitely did. You make a fool out of me. Well, let me ask you, with the actors, uh, Richard Castellano, who yeah. played Clemenza, did anyone know his who was it? His uncle was Paul Castellano. No way. That's all bull. <laughs> Paul Castellano. It's fantasy. That's what they said. Fan- yeah, I know. That's, it's Everybody not, it's was not, mobbed so, up on So it's not true. No. The only other guy that knew mobsters mm-hmm. was Lenny Montana, who played Luke O'Brien. Yeah, the big, okay. the big. Yeah. He's He the was only a guy. wrestler, and he was a collective of the Colombo family. Oh. Nobody else. They all wanted to. Oh, yeah, my uncle's this, my cousin's that. They get a bother. <laughs> let, let me ask you this, because there's a... Of course, so many great scenes, but the one with James Caan just beating the heck out of you yeah. with dustbin lids movies. or trash cans, <laughs> only in the movies. But there was a suggestion that there was a little bit of tension between you guys that had been building a little, a lot. A lot. And so some of that scene was really heartfelt. In other words, he was By trying him. to beat the hell out of you. Oh, yeah. And what was that about? Why? Early on in the shooting, which is funny because we'll bring up your supposedly Paul Costalone <laughs> cousin to Richie. Uh, <laughs> We were in Jilly's. I used to go to Jilly's all the time in 52nd Street, between 7th and 8th. And that's where everybody hung out. So we're in the shooting for about two weeks only. And I'm at the bar. And I'm at the bar with Paul Castellano. I mean, not Paul Castellano. Tommy Bellotti, Paul's driver. Yeah. And Boozy DiCicco. Jimmy DiCicco, who was an underboss yeah. in the Gambino family. Mm. So I'm having drinks. I know them all my life. Tommy was my best man at my first wedding. I married Nikki Dolls' daughter. Mm. So now... Jimmy comes from behind, back in the cafe, and he says, Johnny, Junior's back there. Come my circle. And he sees he's back there with his daughter. Why don't you come by and say hello? So I love Junior. So I go back there. I, we do our normal greeting. And then I see the girl. I said, Junior, your daughter is gorgeous. Now, if you don't know Junior, <laughs> his face twists. And I knew I was set up. Uh-oh. So now I just I see you all guys later, and I leave. Mm-hmm. I go to the bathroom. <laughs> Here comes two of Junior's guys down to the bathroom. Uh-oh. So one puts his back against the door. The other guy's standing behind me behind the urinal, and he's pushing me. I said, I'll be done in a minute. I always carry anyway. I could have killed him, but I didn't, but I didn't want him anyway because of the fact that, you know, I just started the movie. Right. So next, next second, Tommy Bellotti hits that door. And one thing about Tommy Bellotti, if anybody knows him, this guy's like a fire hydrant. I mean, he's the toughest guy I know. Mm-hmm. He grabs the one guy by the hair that was near the door and bangs his head and splits it open right on the sink. Now he gets right in front of the other guy, and he's looking up to him. He said, what are you going to do here? He said, well, this guy's a wise guy. You know, he, he said, what are you talking about, wise guy? Well, he come up to Junior, and Junior's there with his girlfriend, and he said, your daughter is bo- uh, beautiful. Mm-hmm. He's a punk. Bing hits him. He said, what would you call him? Uh, <laughs> and he hit him again. Oh now, by this time, Boozy DiCicco is at, in downstairs because they caught the move, thank God. Right. Unless I would have been in there with my legs broken. Yeah. So he said, let's go upstairs. See, now, Boozy can talk to Junior because they're both made guys, different mm-hmm. families. Mm-hmm. Junior uh, is with the Columbos, and he's with the Gambinos. Was Boati not made at that point? No, it's not okay. yet, no. So now we go upstairs. And they go into the kitchen. They, you know, mm-hmm. whatever they're saying, they're saying. Then they call for Jimmy. As soon as Jimmy goes back there, he has here, pick, pick, two smacks to the face <laughs> from oh, Junior. Oh. So then they call me in. So Tommy comes in with me. He says, uh, Johnny, I apologize. He says, uh, Junior. Wow. He says, I was out of order. 
this guy's out of order. She said, Jimmy, you want to be in, in this thing of ours? Mm-hmm. He said, now what? He says, now you belong to Boozy Chico. Wow. And Jimmy says, what does that mean? Whatever they want to do with you. So Tommy says, right then and there, all my kids, I want to kill them right now. I said, we can't kill them tonight. Are you kidding? <laughs> Wait until the movie ends. <laughs> yeah, I said, two weeks into the shooting. <laughs> so, I mean, that's what the problem was with Jimmy. Well, Jimmy oh got even with me where he could, where I missed my mark, I did this. Right, right. But it was all bullshit. When that happened, was Carmine... Uh, well, he wasn't boss at that time, was he? What, what are you talking about? He was an underboss well, to Gambino. I okay. mean, to Co- he was underboss at that time. Well, so what? Okay. He's still no, an I'm underboss. Just asking. I'm just asking. No, he was the yeah. underboss. That's why he took over after yeah. the, on the June, the other rally when they yeah. shot Joe Colombo, which was another story I got in trouble with. <laughs> were, were you aware of how significant this movie was while you are in I know it was your first experience, and I know how you got into it, but was there a sense of this is really something that's being put together here? We thought it would never come out because Paramount kept <laughs> threatening they were going to close it down. Why? Really? They had different directors. Uh-huh. Well, the first week was uh, the wedding scene. Mm-hmm. And the first week is when they introduce Pacino's character. He's in this dopey army uniform. Right, Okay, right. I'm not a part of this. Yep. And they're all at Paramount, you know, they're all saying, this guy's going to become Michael? <laughs> and they, I mean, that, I mean, it was crazy. We really thought, you know, this ain't going nowhere. I was having a lot of fun, so I did. I didn't care. The party looks fun. Yeah, and we then, had a lot of fun. I mean, and then the rest is history. And I mean, for you, it just fell just together. Remarkable. No, it's crazy. It is. I mean, you know how ironic it is. I sit here today, and the book came out March tenth, fifty years ago. Oh my God, it's fifty the, years ago, nineteen sixty nine, right? And why, why I wanted my book to come out on March twelfth? That was the forty eighth anniversary of Godfather one. So why I'm bringing this up, I am now the ambassador to all the IP for The Godfather, Mm. a company that I'm associated with, Mm -hmm. owns Jenko Olive Oil, all the the food. Really? We we all launch in April on Amazon, (laughs) QVC, and (laughs) 18,000 grocery stores just in the United States. And I'm partners with Greco and Sons out of Chicago mm-hmm. who already do $6 billion a year in Italian groceries without me. <laughs> oh, my God. That just shows you, doesn't it, the power of this. You know, uh, to people listening out there, I really do encourage you to read this book. Uh, again, Hollywood Godfather, My Life in the Movies and the Mob. As you can tell from Gianni, he's had an amazing life. Um, and I'll give you another little story that I read, and I'm like, you are kidding me. But now I've met you, I can believe it. This is after the movie. You open a nightclub in Vegas. Right. And I was reading about this. And we can talk about how you wanted it to look and everything. But this was a really a, a place that attracted a lot of great people. It was really humming and really going well. And you tell a story of one night. You hear, like, some sort of noise going on. In, in the main dining In the main room. dining yeah. room. And you go in there, and it's uh, some guy had slashed the face of the woman who he was with at the table with a, it was a champagne bottle, you know, literally glass, as they say in the UK. to a crystal. What a waste. Yeah, Leclerc. So this poor, poor woman is there. She's got blood pouring out of her, her face. It's, it's a terrible thing. You turn up and say, what the hell happened here? And there's this guy. 
very yeah. aggressive. You want to throw him out. Well, I then he starts taking swings at you, and he still has the glass. Well, I didn't know that. So, you know, the thing is this. When I approach the table like I would do with any male customer that I don't know, right. because it would be from another family, from another state, mm-hmm. I, I approached him. I said, you hear those sirens? They're not going through a fire. They're coming for you. Yeah. Get out. Get out. I'll take care of her. He's no man. I said, no man. What's man? Man. <laughs> so I didn't know. And I figured, okay. So, But you had a gun. So he goes and reached for her again. I said, you got to leave it here. I didn't know he still had the bottle. So with the bottle, he goes for me, for my juggler. Mm-hmm. I'm agile enough. I go back. And he cuts my chin. A hundred and something stitches. Jeez. This is going to tell you how nuts I really am. Right. And now I'm bleeding. I waited six months for the Sea Island cotton. I read that. The I, shirts. I, that, that was that the thing one. that bothered you the most. I'm saying. It's like, hey. I don't mind you cutting me up. I'm looking. <laughs> I waited six months. The guy's looking at me like I'm nuts. <laughs> but I, there's, a, there's a story here. You end up, because he won't quit, you have to shoot him. Yeah, I shot him between the eyes. And, and let he me still tell you kept this. going, too, in the book. No, that's good, that's well, good aim. <laughs> the thing is this. No, I laid the gun right on you. Aim, I ain't going to aim. I put it on his side. I said, you're going to leave now? He said, no. I said, boom. And that was it. But I'm looking at a hole in his head, and the guy goes like this, like a bit, a bit Just by like a, a mosquito. <laughs> and I'm saying, but he was so high on coke, it took another 10, not even, three or four seconds. Before it. But when you're looking at a man that you know you just shot, That's a bit and disturbing. he's still looking at you, <laughs> I don't know what I was going to do. But I knew right away I should buy a bigger caliber gun. So, yeah. <laughs> so the police show up, and of course... They would call it a good shooting. It was self-defense. This guy was out of control. Now, what's interesting about this is you find out later who this guy was, and that triggers a whole nother high drama because it turns out the guy was a member of Escobar's cocaine cartel down in Colombia. Medina cartel. The Medina cartel, and we know what they're like. And so suddenly... Your life and your family's life is very much in danger because, unbeknownst to you, you killed one of their guys. And not only that, they were Santerias. So they created a whole Santeria in my, in my house. See, Marialitos. Well, a Marialitos is a whole other breed within that breed. And they avenge their, their deaths and their families, especially if it was done the way I did it. And what they normally do, they take out you, your family, your pets, everybody. You last. Wipe you out. So I felt, you know, my kids have nothing to do with this. So I fly to New York to see Gotti, who I was not very friendly with all the time. But we had, well, O'Neill Delacroco loved me, and he loved John. So he was like our mediator mm-hmm. for that time. And what could Gotti do? What was the thinking behind that? Well, Gotti was do- doing work with them. Hello. So he had connections so down in Colombia. This, okay. this is when he was at Capo, or this is before yeah. he was boss of the family? Oh, no, yeah. No, okay. No. He was earning his bones, as they say. And with that, he figured, I'll arrange for him to go. I'll never see him again. Get rid of this pain <laughs> in the ass. I swear to God. One-way ticket to Bogota? Yeah. But I bought a round trip, thank God. <laughs> if he paid for it, it would be one way. But so I, I get down there, and I felt comforted because I met, met him in a church. So I go in the church, and I'm walking down the pews to go down to the aisle, to the altar where I saw a man. I don't know if it was him or not, mm. but they just motioned me to go there. And he was there, and he was praying in front of a, a, a saint, uh, like a blessed mother. I've never seen in my life. It's the blessed mother with her hands down, 
and there's people burning in hell reaching for her. Wow. Mm. It must be one of their significant uh, blessed mothers. Mm. But as I got closer, I'm smelling flesh. And as he's praying as a novena, he's burning his fingertips. I don't know what that meant. But I only saw that so for a second. So he could a be second. a cat burglar? I don't know. <laughs> no fingerprints? Yeah, I know. But, I mean, no, he didn't rob nobody at that time. He was, doing, he was already doing about $10 million a week. <laughs> <laughs> and <laughs> no, who was this person? It was Pablo Escobar. It was Escobar himself. himself. But as I'm walking down the aisle, the pews are creaking. And as I passed him, people are sitting up with rifles. Oh, so it wasn't oh. just me and him. And what wow. was he like? Well, I didn't get to know him that well then. Right. As soon as I but got there. But you said, look, you explained I shot your guy, but no, here's how. Not until later. Oh. I got knocked out. The next thing I wake up, I'm chained. I don't know where I am. Knocked you out in a church. That's there was sin. bodyguards. I mean, body bags <laughs> laying on the floor. The stench in that room was terrible. The chair I was on had no seat. Great. And they had a chain on a like a bat with a big rubber ball on it, and they would be spinning it and hit me in the groin with it. I didn't even know how long I was there. But I woke up, and there's a guy well-dressed, I mean cleaner than them. They were in fatigues. Right. And he had a book in his hand, The Making of the Godfather. And he says to me, why didn't you tell me you were Carlo and the Godfather? <laughs> That's my favorite movie. That's how nuts my life is. Oh and that my. was Pablo Escobar. No. He's, Did he want your autograph? <laughs> not, not only that, just bring them up, clean them up. Somebody came, to, I, like a nurse type person, brought me pills and rest. And then somebody came. I don't even know how long I slept. Then I got, they gave me clothes, and I went down and had dinner with them. And we we spoke. He said, "Let's eat and let's, you know." He said, "I really apologize for the treatment you got here." He said, "But I was told a different story." I said, well, I didn't even tell you my side of the story. He said, well, I understand now. For you to have the courage to come here, I want to hear your story. And I told him, because John Gotti told him a different story. Set you up. Yep. Another Jimmy Kahn. <laughs> <laughs> well, wow. You, John Gotti famously had Paul Castellano and Tommy Bellotti killed. Correct. Well, this is long after that because after that. what happened was, why did he get Paul Castellano killed? Do you know? So, Because he was going to have him killed. No. No. Wrong. When Carlo wanted to step down, mm-hmm. he appointed Paul as the boss. Yeah. The underboss was already O'Neill Della Croco. Yeah. He overstepped O'Neill and gave it to Paul because Paul was a bigger earner. Paul was a legitimate guy. And they were related, they right? They Somehow? were related. Yeah. That's what got John twisted. Mm-hmm. He said, this is my time to make the move. And that's when he made the move. That's why he killed Paul Costello and Tommy together. And he, did, and he had no permission. Mm-hmm. He didn't go to the commission. You can't kill a boss. Yeah. Without. That's why I was on the news all last mm-hmm. week about well, the Frankie I was just going to ask boy. you about Frankie that. Frankie Callis. Yeah, yeah, what's that I about? was on all the It was a joke. Yeah. A joke. When they told me mob, and, and, and then they brought up a couple other people, and everyone should mention their name. Right. I said, this is not a mob hit. They said, how could you be so sure? The mob never kills a man in front of his wife and kids at his home. Never. And look what is a punk kid. Yeah. That kid's got to be nuts. Right. To, to date his niece? Are you crazy? <laughs> I should have got this kid some hookers. What are you, crazy? <laughs> so uh, 
Johnny, as you look back on your life, do you think it would make a good movie? You've been in The Godfather. I'm looking at this, and I'm like, this is a remarkable story. Well, I, I wrote it. I wrote, you know, a, a lot of movies. I've done 46. But I own 16. has to be the best of all. But it is. And that's why now, as you say it, I mean, um, I'm in conversations right now. The, with, the Escobar story alone is, oh, yeah. is a movie in itself, yeah. but there's so much. Yeah, but the thing, I think what we're doing here, I think, is really unique because... I want there, like there's a thread and a message through the Godfather. Mm. Through my whole life, there is a message. And I mean, one is respect, others belief, and other than yourself. And the most important thing is to to yourself. If you believe in yourself, be honest, look a man in the eye, shake his hand, and there's nothing you can't do. If I did it, you can do it. That's why the last sentence of the book is, yes, you can. That's the last sentence of my you're book. A, you're the epitome of that, to be honest, Johnny. Mm-hmm. Let's, I mean, it's remarkable. No, Absolutely remarkable. And you may have been born with a horseshoe in a place that you mentioned earlier, <laughs> backside. But I do believe in life you make your own luck. And oh, I for do. the very reason reasons that you just stated, you work hard, always looking for where you're going to make your next buck, and always moving on. And we're not hurting anyone. And I, not hurting anyone, The right. people I had to hurt, they, they asked for it. And I look at it that way. I mean, I, I, I mentioned a few times how much I believe in God. To me, I think he sent me here to take care of these creeps before they hurt somebody that can't help themselves. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. You don't know. So what's no. next for you? Uh, we know what you've done in your life. What are you going to do? I'm going to make a movie called Hollywood Godfather. <laughs> <laughs> genius. That's Absolute a good idea. Genius. <laughs> Frank Costello's played by Bobby De Niro. Oh, that'd be cool. Gianni Russo by Leonardo DiCaprio. Marilyn Monroe by Celeste Theron. Oh, you thought it all out. Yeah, oh, you well, go. you remember Any Given Sunday? Yeah, of course. I had put 38 movie stars in that movie. Yeah, I'm doing the right. same thing with this one. <laughs> well, you let us know when that oh, project definitely. is underway. Oh, you'll know. <laughs> you know when we start doozy. casting it. <laughs> and who can Ashley play? That's yeah, all I really, I'm like, how can I get in this thing? I'm not very uh He sounds like Italian. he's from Mulberry Street. <laughs> no, no, he's got, he's got that great British accent. You know? <laughs> Johnny, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been an absolute pleasure. I could speak to you for hours and hours. Uh, and I know the guys on the other side of the window be like, oh, God, but I could. You're a fascinating <laughs> guy. And Well, someday if a guest don't show up, I live up the block. <laughs> there you go. 59th Street? <laughs> no, 61st. 61st, I wasn't far off. No, he, he left it to me in 1973. Oh. I got uh, my dining room at 16, five bedrooms. I got a nightclub oh in there. Oh, my God. No, this is like insane. Johnny, thank you so much. Johnny Russo, one more time, the book Hollywood Godfather, My Life in the Movies and the Mob. I literally just started it. uh, I got through the prologue and the chapter one just like that because it's such a great read. It really is. You got to listen to my podcast. Every (laughs) Wednesday night, I post a new show, Hollywood Godfather podcast. There you go. You heard it right there. How do they find it? Go to iTunes, Cloud, wherever it is, where everybody else is. Hollywood Hollywood Godfather Godfather. podcast. We'll leave it right there. Thanks, everyone, for listening. We'll see you back here next time. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.